Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. today is called Right Speech and Climate Conversations. And I want to start by addressing the fact that I'm not a meditation teacher. I've only been on one retreat, um, but I have been a climate activist for a few years. And I've read a lot of books about the climate crisis and about Buddhism's response to the climate crisis, and Lars Brick and I completed the uh, Eco Sattva training program last year, which is through the One Earth uh, Sangha organization. And so that's sort of all of the uh, authority with which I speak on this topic today. I want to define what I'm talking about when I say climate crisis the current and projected climate and ecological crises, issues of environmental justice, and the unsustainability of the way that we are living on our planet. I want to remind everybody that this is a completely safe space and all responses to this topic that arise within you are welcome here. I gave a, a talk in September about making friends with our eco-anxiety and a you know incomplete list of the things that can arise when dealing with your eco-anxiety include fear, anxiety, grief, anger, guilt, denial, confusion, and numbness. And these are all real and normal responses uh, to learning about or reflecting on the climate crisis. Whatever's arising today is, is very welcome here. I want to share my a bit of my personal story of coming to climate activism. Uh, my entire adult life, I was aware of global warming. I cared about it in my personal life, tried to live um, taking it into account, thinking about low carbon footprint, but I would never talk to someone else about it. I thought it was my personal view that it was like this and I should live like this, but that I would never put that on somebody else. That would that just that's not appropriate, makes people uncomfortable, don't do that. Uh, and I did that until I had my children and um, I was reading something that said, oh, you know, by 2100, we could be in this bad case scenario, this worst case scenario, this catastrophic case scenario. And I thought, 2100, my oldest child will be 83 when it turns the year 2100. If we're going in these directions, that's her whole lifetime of watching that unfold or unravel. And it just, hit me with a rush of grief, and I thought, 
oh my gosh, I, that I can't stand for that. And it also occurred to me that in the previous 15 years of doing what I could, uh, not a lot had changed. And that, oh, and also, it's not my responsibility alone to fix this. I don't have to do it alone either. And so that's how I started getting um, into activism, to be with people, to put my voice together with others, um, and also to conduct a little bit of civil disobedience, uh, hopefully in the style of Martin Luther King or, or Gandhi. That's how strongly I felt. So the prompt for today's topic um, is a book that came out very recently called Saving Us, a Climate Scientist Case for Hope and Healing in a Divided World. And it's by Dr. Catherine Hayhoe. She's an atmospheric scientist. She's a climate scientist. But this book is completely full. It has very little of the climate science in it. It's really full of important social science about climate communication. And her thesis, it's very US focused, her thesis is that we will fight climate change by talking about the climate crisis. But when I think about right speech, the first thing that comes to my mind is restraint. So, how to find the synergy here between talking about a thing and the restraint. So she's encouraging climate conversation, right? What is a climate conversation? I'll get to that in a sec. I'd like to talk about her work to inform our view a little bit and reinforce that we are all connected. And then I'd like to look at the Buddhist prescriptions to mine that for tools and bring the climate conversations and right speech together. So beginning with uh, Dr. Hayhoe's work, she points out scientists have been talking about global warming for 150 years, and it's been 50 years since scientists warned a US president about the threat of global warming. The movie An Inconvenient Truth, you remember that, came out nearly 20 years ago, and yet the latest uh, UN IPCC report, IPCC stands for Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Their latest report that came out very recently said that we are, and quote, firmly on track toward an unlivable world. And yet our emissions keep going up, right? So what is going on? Do people not care? No, people care. People really care. According to the Yale Center on Climate Communication, which has been doing studies, uh, surveys of people for a long time on this issue and tries to improve the world of climate communication, according to them, 70% of Americans say that the climate is changing, 70% say it will harm plants and animals and future generations. The detailed breakdown of that is that 31% of people identify as alarmed about it, 26% identify as concerned, 16 uh, identify as feeling cautious about it, and then there's 7% are disengaged, 10% are doubtful, and 10% are dismissive. 10% dismissive, you know, 
real climate denial, climate change denial. So that is over 70% are either alarmed, concerned, or cautious. 60% of people feel it will affect the U.S., and 40% think it will affect them personally. I just want to point out, we can see here there are obvious psychological defense mechanisms at work here uh, that build this gap between 70% of people who know what the physics are, but only 40% think that the physics are going to affect them. But the most important stat is that 67% of Americans never talk about climate change. 70% feel it's serious, and only 3% actually talk about it. And 75% of Americans feel the media doesn't say enough about it. So I'm going to break here and say, what's a climate conversation? It's not the 3% who talk about climate wandering around going, I'd like to talk to you today about climate. That's not what that is. It's any conversation about your future plans, what you're gonna eat later, what you saw on the news, a home improvement project you're contempl contemplating, what you learned, what your kid learned about in school. The climate crisis really does affect everything. So when the 67% who never talk about it are talking about their travel plans Lake Powell that just canceled because the water level's so low. And then just before the words climate crisis pop out of their mouth, they, they, they don't say it. They refrain. That would have been the climate conversation. It's not a separate topic. It's when it's coming up in every other conversation. Those are the climate conversations. And that's where, and I include myself sometimes in this group, you could bring it in, and you don't on purpose. Something is holding you back. And I think it's, it's pretty amazing that we're able to avoid it so much. <laughs> it touches everything. We're really, we're really avoiding talking about it. So the state of affairs is that people don't talk about an existential crisis they are aware of and which scares them. The science is clear. It has been clear. The technological solutions exist, and people don't really talk about those either. So we need the 70% of Americans who are alarmed, concerned, or cautious to be talking about it all the time. And here I'll quote Dr. Hayhoe. That's why the single most important thing that I do, and that you can do too, has nothing to do with solar panels or food or recycling or light bulbs. The most important thing every single one of us can do about climate change is talk about it. Why it matters and how we can fix it and use our voices to advocate for change within our spheres of influence. As a parent, child, family member or friend, a student, employee or boss, shareholder, stakeholder, member or citizen, Connecting with one another is how we change ourselves, how we change others, how we ultimately change the world. It's contagious. So a lot of the solutions we need can only be implemented at the level of our leadership. 
we need to come together on this to put upward pressure in order to get action. Being in community with others on this issue supports us in changing our own habits and in coping with what's going to be a big transition. Okay, so now that's climate conversation. So right speech. Um, having a climate conversation may not seem like right speech. And I invite everyone here and anyone on Zoom, you can you know raise your hand um, using the button or just raise your hand. Why, why, why does climate conversation not seem like right speech? Does it not feel quite right to anybody else? And do you have any thoughts about what might be holding you back? I mean, just seems like um, political, right? It just seems like politics. It seems like um, discussing politics gets us into hot water with people. Um, personally, I have a lot of like anger, you know, so it's, I, I know that'll come out, you know, when I get into a conversation. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Does anyone else also feel what Shannon was sharing? Mm -hmm. Right? Anthony? I was just saying that I feel the same way that uh, it's such a polarizing issue. There's been so many deniers and it's not just about science. You know, it's like talking about uh, uh, the COVID virus. You know, you've got some people wearing masks and some people won't and, you know, wanting to fight because you want them to wear a mask and keep them from catching a, uh, a deadly disease. So that's where we are in this country, you know, seems very difficult to just talk about science and just talk about reality. Hmm. Uh, everybody wants to spin it into, you know, a political issue. Wow, thank you, Anthony. Katya, did you have your hand up? No? Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I wrote down some of my thoughts about why I don't want to talk about it um, or why it doesn't strike me as right speech. Uh, uh, a big one is I want people to like me and I don't want to feel like Debbie Downer. <laughs> that definitely, that arises. Um, right speech has to be timely and the right time never seems to come up. And when no one will talk about a thing, the right time never presents itself. Another reflection I wrote was other people have polarized the topic, actively polarized the topic. So it already just starting to come out of your mouth has that divisive quality on it, it seems. Leading people into their tribal corners, even though we all live on the earth, is truly something that affects all of us. And I also wrote down for myself, conversation in the past have gotten heated. I have felt anger. I have hurt people's <clears throat> feelings. And anger and doing harm don't fit with right speech. So we need to explore further. So I want to share uh, Tanisaro Bhikkhu's definition of right speech and then also a quote from the Buddha um, on right speech, and we'll flesh this out. So from Tanisro Bhikkhu, 
Right speech explained in negative terms means avoiding four types of harmful speech. Lies, words spoken with the intent of misrepresenting the truth. Divisive speech, I'm having a Mike Pence moment here. Yeah. <laughs> Divisive speech, um, spoken with the intent of creating rifts between people. Harsh speech, spoken with the intent of hurting another person's feelings. And idle chatter, spoken with no purposeful intent at all. Notice the focus on intent. This is where the practice of right speech intersects with the training of the mind. Before you speak, you focus on why you want to speak. In positive terms, right speech means speaking in ways that are trustworthy, harmonious, comforting, and worth taking to heart. When you make a practice of these positive forms of right speech, our, your words become a gift to others. Okay, so that's, that's definitely where we want to be. Um, in a talk on right speech by Joseph Goldstein, he quoted the Buddha. The Buddha said, Bhikkhus, there are five courses of speech that others may use when they address you. Their speech may be timely or untimely, true or untrue, gentle or harsh, connected with good or with harm, spoken with a mind of love and kindness, or with a mind of inner hate. Here in bhikkhus, you should train yourself thus. Our minds will remain unaffected. We shall utter no unskillful words. We shall abide compassionate for their welfare with a mind of loving kindness. And starting with that person, pervade all the world with a mind imbued with loving kindness, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility, without ill will. Oh, so that's totally where we want to be, right? I want to point out that there's a parallel between what I already quoted Dr. Heho is saying and what I just read. So the Buddha said, starting with that person will pervade all the world with a mind imbued with loving kindness. Dr. Heho says, connecting with one another is how we change ourselves, how we change others, and ultimately how we change the world. It's contagious. And here I see a bit of right speech and the social science of climate change communication, you know, lining up pretty beautifully. So I want to walk through these in some detail, uh, the different types of speech. So true or untrue? Well, you know, don't lie or mislead anybody intentionally. Um, but True gets a little weird when you're talking about climate crisis. The crisis is as big as the entire world. It has countless projected effects, countless possible solutions. We're not all climate scientists. And no one human can keep it all straight and keep it in perspective you know, in their own minds. So be kind to yourself. <laughs> For the content of talking about climate, speak what you believe is true, you know, with some humility that not any of us can really see the entire picture. And it's better to avoid, if you're navigating a conversation, getting too stuck in the weeds of like, how many years left until the Siberian permafrost melts? 
what is it going to be 32 years or 33 years leave leave a siberian permafrost researcher to worry about that um, and and don't don't get into those weeds with you know on so and so okay i'll share an anecdote i was at an earth day rally where several organizations were there in coalition speaking about the climate crisis a group uh that was very pro-vegan spoke first followed and they quoted a study that uh, 80 percent of emissions are caused by our animal agriculture our agriculture system the next person to speak was uh one of my heroes dr peter kalmus who's a nasa scientist and he had a there's a separate thing to say, but he said, I just, I just want to say as a scientist, I feel strongly, that study that says that 80% of the emissions are from agriculture, that one, that's been debunked. There was some bad math in there. You know, obviously, it's more, it's more like 15%, so that's a huge chunk. We still have to address the issue, but I just wanted to say that one little bit. And where I was sitting, the pro-vegan group was right behind me, and the previous speaker yelled out, liar! And we're all here at a, a rally together, but she, you know, so it got a little tense and he finished his speech. The next speaker who got up said, you know, sometimes we're not in full agreement on the numbers, but we're all here for the same reason. We're all here working on the same project and we need this on all fronts. So let's keep that in mind. So we're talking about, you know, professional <laughs> climate change speakers speaking at a rally. Even there, it's not you know 100% cut and dry. It's not always clear. There's a lot of confusion, and this sort of idea of what's you know true and not is not the most. When it comes to data points and this and that, it's not the important part of your conversation. So you want to keep it big picture. Now there are some things that are definitely true. Uh, we're not moving fast enough on any front. On changing our energy generation, transportation, agriculture, food waste, plastic. We're not, we're not moving fast enough on any of those fronts. It's true that the ecosystems of the world are extraordinary and beautiful and complex beyond human understanding. We're only ever trying to get at it with science, but it's, it's really beyond our human understanding. It's also true that there are lots of different types of solutions there's no one solution and there is no one bad actor. There's no one cause, right? So if you ever hear things like, if we just did blank, or if you just did blank, uh, that's, that's not quite, that's a bit of a misunderstanding. You really need all solutions, different solutions, solutions for different places, right? A solution might work here and it might not work there. So be mindful of that coming up. Now, it's, it's easier to find a shared understanding with someone else when it's something that you actually share. So, for instance, something that's local, a local issue. Uh, Dr. Hayhoe says, start with something you have in common. Connect it to why climate change matters to us personally. Not the human race in its entirety or the Earth itself, but rather us as individuals. Climate change affects nearly everything that we already care about. It will make us... And our children less healthy, our communities less prosperous, and our world less stable. Often, in fact, it already has. And I want to say one more thing about, you know, true and true. Um, having a conversation with a 
true climate denier, the 10%, is, is not something that you need to do. According to the social science, it isn't productive for you or for them. Uh, so we can compassionately not have the conversation. <laughs> you hear something like climate change is the hoax propagated by China, very compassionately probably don't go any further. <laughs> Okay, so gentle or harsh speech. Um, I find that there's a harshness sometimes just saying out loud some of the current and future consequences of global warming. Talking about famine, blood, destruction, injustice, these things have a bit of an inherent harshness uh, sometimes, but they are also true. So we lean into their truth and try to speak about them in you know, in gentle ways with loving kindness towards ourselves and towards the listener. Uh, I will confess that I fall into the trap of harsh speech that sounds like snark. So <laughs> I might be somewhere eating at a beachfront restaurant thinking like, well, this isn't going to be here in 20 years. I bet their insurance costs are through the roof. When is it going to flood? You know, things like that. I get, up, I get upset and I get snarky. So that's my, that's where I go to harsh speech is with a you know, biting sarcasm or snark. Um, a way to speak gently is to always speak from your own experience. I feel, you know. And the recommendations from social science are to make sure to keep it positive and focus on solutions. Um, as Dr. Hayhoe puts it, describe what people can and are doing to fix it. There are all kinds of solutions from cutting our own food waste to powering buses with garbage to using solar energy to transform the lives of some of the poorest people in the world. There are solutions that clean up our air and our water from local economies and encourage nature to thrive and leave us all better off, not worse. Who doesn't want that? We can talk joyfully about solutions and let um, and not have it be a competition, but oh, I'm excited about this solution. Oh, and you're excited about that solution. So now we're both happy. Now we're both excited. Multiply the joy. Um, my, in California now, we all are required to compost. And I'll share a story that my, my mother-in-law started with her little compost thing given to her by her town. And then she was complaining to me that it got ants. I already composted. She was looking for some advice. And I said, oh, we probably put some, you know, ant traps next to it, and we'll see how it goes. She said, look, I'm not going to do this composting thing if I'm fighting ants all the time. That's too hard. And I said, do you remember when we didn't take reusable bags to the grocery store? And she said, yeah, but it's so easy. I just, I take my bags to the grocery store. I said, yeah, but you know, I bet there was a day or several days when you were starting to do it, and you forgot the bags. And you got to the store and thought, and you wanted to kick yourself, and you're frustrated, and then and then, but now you say, oh, it's so easy. I just take my bags. I think you're going to be there with your compost. Not right now, but you're going to get there. You're going to figure out the ant thing, and then you're going to feel good about how successful the composting has been. You don't have ants, you don't have flies, you don't have smell. You figured it out, you know? And you're going to feel good about it, just like with the bags. So, no slanderous or divisive speech. And I'm quoting here from Bhikkhu Bodhi speaking on slander speech. The opposite of slander, as the Buddha indicates, is speech that promotes friendship and harmony. 
Such speech originates from a mind of loving kindness and sympathy. It wins the trust and affection of others who feel they can confide in one without fear that their disclosures will be used against them. So people think in terms of you know, their own frame of reference, their own worldview. Um, and so if you're sharing something and it bumps up against you know, their, their worldview, you're now poking holes in their worldview, you're not gonna get through on that point in particular and it's going to breed a little bit of distrust. You wanna stay again on these positive themes, on these solutions to try and keep that sense of we're on this team together. This is, we're all solution focused here. Um, and that's the guidance, you know, again, coming from Dr. Hayhoe. Realize that you agree on more than you disagree on. Stay with what you agree on. Greed, aversion, and delusion are at work in the world. And I personally think that that's the heart of the climate crisis. So instead of saying, oh, you know, such and such ExxonMobil executive is, a, is greedy, or a climate denier is, they're, they're delusional, they're aversive to the truth. Can we remember that those are just the defilements rising in, in, in others as they do also rise in us? You know, so instead of saying greedy Bob, we're talking about greed, greed in our economy, greed in our life, greed in our minds, greed in our world, you know? And that makes it less slanderous because you're not pointing at a person. Connected with good or with harm, spoken with a mind of loving kindness or with a mind of inner hate. So this is going to take mindful awareness and also in our speech, but also listening with the mind of loving kindness. Radiating meta to ourselves and to others. And I just want to say and acknowledge that these conversations can be hard. Um, I feel like culturally we're all taking baby steps, you know, uh, getting our footing and how to talk about this. And I am sometimes so amazed when I see a reporter do a, a piece on climate and it's just devastating, the images that you see and, and it's so terrifying and then they switch to, and in sports we have this and it just seems like, I'm sorry, is that, is that how we're gonna contextualize it? You know, it's just, we don't, all of us kind of don't know what we're doing <laughs> and we're taking baby steps to get better at having these conversations and incorporating talking about climate into conversations about other things. So have some compassion for yourself and for others. I think we're all learning to do this at the same time. Timely or untimely? Um, this takes a lot of discernment, and I, I'm, uh, I'm, I don't know that I should really say anything about it because uh, I, I talk a lot, so I don't feel like I know when it's timely and untimely to talk. I think I talk through timely and plenty through untimely, and certainly I've gotten feedback to that effect in my life. So I don't know. I don't. I, I really. That's a timely or untimely. I, I struggle there. You're just gonna have to stay with. Your loving kindness and your and your mindful awareness as much as possible to decide go forward bring it up right now or no now is not the moment so that's my bit about uh right speech 
speech and bringing right speech to a climate conversation. So the last talk that I gave was on making friends with our eco-anxiety and in a way, this talk I hope also revisits that. Um, I wanna read from Bhikkhu Bodhi again on SILA, on right speech, right action, and right livelihood. Though the principles laid down in this section on SILA restrain immoral actions and promote good conduct, their ultimate purpose is not so much ethical as spiritual. They are not prescribed merely as guides to action, but primarily as aids to mental purification. As a necessary measure for human well-beings, ethics cannot be, ethics has its own justification in the Buddhist teaching and its importance cannot be underrated. But in the special context of the Noble Eightfold Path, ethical principles are subordinate to the path's governing goal, final deliverance from suffering. So this is, you know, so if you have a climate conversation or you bring up climate and it ultimately ends, you know, right away with awkward silence, you don't feel like you connected with a person, you still did great. You voiced your grief. You were in alignment with truth and speaking compassionately. So if you were using right speech, then it was purifying for your mind to try, to start. And you've said something now, even if it doesn't lead to conversation, you've brought up a topic that in our culture is pretty taboo. And every utterance of a taboo puts another crack, you know, in the wall to break it down. The right speech in the service of climate conversations is still for our spiritual path too. Right speech is also right listening. Uh, you know, I spent 15 years feeling completely like alone in my climate concerns and in my climate grief. Uh, and there are still times where I won't talk about it openly in certain contexts. But 70% of America agrees with me about most of it. So it's pretty safe to assume another person, you know, I encounter also cares, you know, at some level about some part of it, you know. So I need to practice right speech by listening actively and compassionately. And if I do that, I'm going to find those others all around me, right? Um, I forgot what I was going to read. Oh, I'm on the page. That's why. Again from Bhikkhu Bodhi on Sila. The observance of Sila, right, speech, right, action, right, that is, leads to harmony at several levels. Social, psychological, karmic, and contemplative. So it's that harmony we're trying to find with someone else. And it's that harmony I can then find with one other person and then with a lot of other people. And then socially, ultimately, we're in the service of living more harmoniously on this planet. So I see these as working really well together, ultimately. I, I was concerned at the beginning. How was I going to do right speech, restraint, and talking? but I have found there's a lot that really works beautifully together. So uh, there's a professor, Ed Maybach. He is a professor of climate communication, and he says the important things to do to make change are repeat yourself. You, and this is sort of in a 
a marketing type speech. Repeat yourself, use simple messages repeated often by many trusted messengers. You can see in a sort of social context, if it's popping up, and it's popping up here and there, and it's popping up from people you trust, and it's, happy, it's a nice conversation you feel you connected, that's where change is, is beginning to take place um, collectively. And as uh, Dr. Hayhoe says it, we tend to favor personal stories and experiences over reams of data or facts. And in fact, when you hear a story, neuroscientists have found your brain waves start to synchronize with those of the storyteller and your emotions follow. And that's how change happens. And because of that quote, I put three stories in my talk. <laughs> I didn't even notice. <laughs> when you leave here, you may not remember how many, what percentage of Americans think what, but you might think, oh, there was that thing about the grocery bags and the compost, right? Oh yeah, I remember that story. That's much more likely. Who was the uh, person who quoted? Did you quote it on stories? Do you think it's very Dr. Hayhoe, the atmospheric scientist writing the climate change communication book? She said that. That's her guidance. Um, Connect with people, find what you have in common, use personal stories, it's gonna, it's gonna land. That's what the psychology and social science, you know, says. We can compassionately listen and talk about the climate crisis using right speech methods. Lean in to what connects the speaker and listener. Our view that we're all connected means that our interactions can be like a pebble dropped into a pond rippling outward. And I wonder, for all of us, you know, reflect for yourself, was there a point in your practice where you realized what Sangha does for you, right? As opposed to practice alone on the cushion or reading about Buddhism at the library, you know, what, what happens to us when we sit together, when we find spiritual friends, when we engage with Sangha? I think it stands to reason that if you're gently and open-heartedly engaging with others on the topic of the climate, you may have the same moments with all kinds of people in your life and you know around you. Can they become your eco sangha? It will energize you in the work, just like being with sangha energizes us all in our practice. And I think the odds are good because remember, 70%, 70%. So the odds are good. We can, we can find the eco-sangha, the eco-sangha that's walking around us all the time. So I want to give everyone a couple of minutes to reflect um, on some prompt questions I'm going to offer and then go into small groups to discuss what came up in your couple of minutes, okay? So I'm gonna give everybody three questions. You can pick one you wanna reflect on and then share. So if you had a light bulb moment about the climate crisis, like I described my light bulb moment, if you had a similar sort of light bulb going off moment, uh, you know, share about that. What was going on inside, you know, when that happened? Um, and how, how did that arise for you? You can also talk about um, 
is there something that you've already changed in your life to live more har harmoniously with earth, you know, and that reconnects you to earth? And how was making that change? How did that go for you? Were you happy with how you changed it? Was it hard to change? Thank you, Don. Nope. <laughs> Don's writing the questions in the chat. Um, and then another option, you know, is there a, a part of the possible future that you really look forward to for yourself? Not just like a, oh, I like world peace. I would like world peace. But something a little more concrete, a little more personal. Like, I would be psyched to have great public transportation, runs on clean energy, go where I need to go. I don't have to drive. Uh, I wouldn't have to go to the gas station. There'd be less traffic. And I would have more connection with my community. If we're sharing some transportation once in a while, there'd be the people, the regulars I see and making contact with people in my community. Instead, I sit in a box and everybody's, you know, locked in their box, you know, around me. So that's what I would look forward to. So is there something like that? Something about the future that could be that you're particularly so we have just a couple minutes for anyone to share uh, what they talked about in small group or any reflections they want to share at all. Again, I can see everyone on Zoom, so you can raise your actual hand, and people in the room can raise your actual hand. Well, you know, I hate to put them on the spot, but I, you know, if you don't mind, Mars, telling about your, um, your um, community that you've got going in the school, the uh, why it's been, you know, working. Because that's, you know, we're all kind of feeling a little bit desperate about, you know, what our options are to communicate with people. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and, and like create, you know, things that we're hoping to yeah. mm -hmm. I think the, I think the frustrating thing, I think the frustrating thing about 21st century life is the, um, this, this, I mean, it's still this pressure that we have to, whatever conversation or message we had, it has to be broadcast. To every billions of people on this planet, and it's just this mindset that I think is really frustrating. And it's just, I just kind of reached a breaking point like this year, which is like, just dropping that. Like, I'm just going to work with these kids. <laughs> we're gonna do this story, you know. We're gonna, we're gonna do. Um, so, like, you know, the, the Downey Eco Club. We did an eco fair this year. I thought it was really successful. Had the whole roundabout quad. Had a bunch of different booths. Um, really engaging. And again, like the, the, the focus on like, you know, focus on the positive, focus on what can be done and things, all the different things that we can do um, and, and see what clicks. And I thought it was a really, I had a lot of really good support from Cal State Long Beach. Um, you know, it's kind of all kind of fell together. It's like, all right, I think we got something here. We can do this maybe every quarter now. So I'm looking forward to that next year. And uh, so yeah, I think it kind of just, it's more of a local focus. It's been good for my mental health also. Because mm -hmm. it's just, I don't know it's frustrating that it just feels like there's just a wall of doomerism. And it's like, I don't want to engage in that. You know, I don't want to bother with that. I'll deal with, I'll, I'll deal with what I can deal with. Right. Thanks, Boris. And I feel you as well. Yeah. yeah and I think maybe on the right speech front the idea of you know what's what's your in, your intent right and so now armed with some information about how you affect others when you talk about solutions and you talk in the positive 
right? And then seeing it for yourself and how what you, that's part that's going to now inform your intent to you know share with someone. Oh, hey, did you know I heard about this cool new thing? As opposed, you know, you're still going to see bad news, and you're going to need your practice to hold the grief, you know, that you're going to feel. And I'm not saying hide that, bury it, not share about that. No. But when you're not sure of your audience and you think there's a moment for a little bit of climate, poof, and you're going to try to stay it on the positive front and be sort of solutions focused, the science is saying that's actually going to really work. That's going to really land, you know? Okay. Please. Yeah, just, I mean, all of us in our group agreed um, back to your, I don't remember the name of the um, source, but mm -hmm. you know, keeping things story based. Right, right. I'm just writing in the chat the uh, author's name. Yeah, I just wanted to share a, a little positive news story that I read yesterday about a battery supplier uh, that is one of Tesla's uh, distributors or, or manufacturers of batteries for Tesla has just, they say they're going to start putting these batteries in cars next year. It has 620 miles of range and can charge to 80% in 10 minutes. <laughs> and wow. I think that would really so make <laughs> the electric car, uh, you know, in so much, so many ways better than a gas powered car that uh, people would naturally switch over. Mm -hmm. uh, and supposedly this technology is less expensive too, which is, you know, one of the big drawbacks with electric cars are very expensive. So, Awesome. You don't get much positive news, but that, that's pretty, pretty uh, awesome. Right, yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Nancy. There's uh, highways in Europe where uh, freight trucks that are electric charge as they drive in their own lane. Like oh, they wow. have a lane with solar panels on top and, it, and a charging hookup, and then they drive wow. along the hookup. Wow. And it can power their long-distance uh, wow. yeah, trucks. Wow. And then they, they need a battery solution for when they get off the freeway. To, to get to their destination, 600 miles would help with that. But yeah, all kinds of cool stuff. All kinds of cool stuff. <laughs> okay, well, I want to be mindful of time. We have one more minute, and I did want to uh, do a, a dedication of the merit that comes. It's a little bit uh, my own, but it comes from the eco-sattva eco training uh, that we did with Warner Sangha. So I would like to invite everyone to resume your meditation posture and to find your breath once again. May all be all places be held sacred. May all beings be cherished. May all injustices of oppression and devaluation be fully righted, remedied, and healed. May all who are captured by hatred be freed to the love that is our birthright. May all who are bound by fear discover the safety of understanding. May all who are weighed down by grief be given over to the joy of being. 
May all who are lost in delusion find a home on the path of wisdom. May all wounds, the forests, rivers, deserts, oceans, all wounds to Mother Earth be lovingly restored to bountiful health. May all beings everywhere delight in whale song, bird song, and blue sky. May all beings abide in peace and well-being, awaken, and be free. Just listen to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.